Welcome to the What The Footy podcast, the podcast that takes football fans behind the scenes. Today I'm joined by my biggest guest so far. He's one of the greatest British managers of all time. He's the man who took Wimbledon and Sheffield United from the basement to the big time. He's an LMA Hall of Famer. He's the architect behind the crazy gang. He's managed over a thousand games. He's Mr. Dave Bassett. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Yeah, pleasure, Paul. Nice to meet you. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's putting us. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So winning the league, let's just win this to appease the fans. So a new segment that we've added is um, what the footy are you lying for? Could you take me away with your uh, three statements, please? Uh, I represented England is number one. Uh, I managed Crystal Palace twice. And uh, I played for Wimbledon in their first uh, game in the Football League ever. Uh, when they played Halifax and drew 3-3 when they entered the league. Oh, yeah, I should know these ones. So the Wimbledon one, I believe, is correct. I know you played for them before you became a manager. Um, Crystal Palace, um, I know you've managed them. I don't believe that was twice. So I'm going to say that's a lie. Um, I'm going to say that's a lie. Um, I'm going to say represented England. Yeah. But yeah, we'll find out the answers in the um, in the second part anyway. But yeah, it's obviously great, great to have you here. And I think um, obviously like to start it going back to to 1981 when you took over took over Wimbledon and within less than four seasons from Division Four to Division One, you took them into the big time. Just sort of talk to me about how you initially came in and shifted the culture and the mindset of the club because they were only recently admitted into the Football League. What sort of things did you change within the club as soon as you came in there? Well, the club came in the league, uh, league and I was a player. They'd been in non-league and um, I was a player and uh, uh, we, we ended up uh, having a struggle in that first season because we were part-time. And um, in the, our manager, Alan Batsford, uh, uh, fell out with Ron Nodes at Christmas and it ended up with um, uh, Alan Batsford resigning. Uh, Ron Nodes actually offered me the job at Wimbledon at that time, but I wasn't ready uh, to be a manager. I was into coaching, I wanted to be, but uh, I was well aware that I, I wasn't experienced enough. And then, then what happened? Dario Grady, who was our youth team coach and youth academy director at that time, he took over as manager at Wimbledon. And um, it turned out with Ron, he offered me to be his assistant, which was uh, a good move for me. And uh, I became full time 
time at Wimbledon, worked with Dario for three years. And then in 1981, Ron had sort of got to a stage uh, where he felt Wimbledon couldn't go any further and Crystal Palace were having problems and he then moved to take over Crystal Palace. And uh, when he did, um, he decided to take Dario with him um, at the end of 80 mm. to 81 to go to Crystal Palace with him. And then I was the assistant manager and I then got promoted to the manager's job um, in the January 1981. So, you know, I inherited the side that was there at that particular time, which had some mixture of some experienced players and quite a lot of young players. And um, when I took over in the January, Wimbledon were 13th in the fourth division, which is now the equivalent to League Two. and. Um, we had a great run. We we ended up finishing third and getting promoted to the third division straight away. Um, but next year wasn't so good because uh, uh, Sam, who was took over as chairman, Sam, a man, he he needed money. He felt that he needed to be secure, and we sold three or four of our best players um, to other clubs to raise money. And at the same time three or four of our other best players that helped us get a promotion like Alan Cork, for example, had bad injuries. So all of a sudden we were decimated. Eight players had gone from the team that had got us out of the fourth division, uh, weren't playing and we were, had to use youth players and one or two young players. So it wasn't a surprise that we were down the bottom. And we battled away, we were bottom, we fought, but we lost on goal difference to Walsall at the end of that season and got relegated back. At that time, a lot of players had had experienced uh, young players like Lynn Hodges, Wally Downs, Kevin Gage, Paul Fishenden, Mark Morris, Dave Besson, had all gained a lot of experience in that promotion and relegation season. So they'd sort of run up about 70 or 80 games. And uh, we, we, we then readjusted because other players started to come through. And um, we then uh, actually uh, didn't play long ball at that particular time. We played with a sweeper at the start of the uh, following season. Oh, wow. We were at the top of the league um, of it, and I felt that we were underselling ourselves. I thought that we could do more attacking by playing more direct and being up front. So in the November, uh, we, we changed. I got the players to buy into it. Uh, some of them did very easily, others were a bit uh, uncertain, but we got um, some good results early and we pushed on and that was uh, the sort of criteria that we our moved and, and we played the, this brand of football uh, for the rest of my time at that particular time at the club. They bought into it, other players came in and we won the championship in the fourth division that year. So we, we bounced straight back and then in the third division, we, add, we added to us, uh, Nigel Winterburn joined us on a free transfer. Yeah, because what I wanted to even ask there is that what was your sort of man management approach and style? Because typically you hear the stories, of obviously, teams coming up through the leagues and as they're making that step up, they're, they're almost almost getting rid of the players you got them there in the first place and replacing them with players that they believe are ready for that next sort of level. What was your sort of approach in, in sort of navigating through the leagues in terms of player personnel, personnel and how you were managing them? Well, I mean, the players stepped up to the plate all the time. One or two mm. fell, by the way. But, you know, Glyn Hodges, as I said, mentioned, and Alan Cork and Kevin Gage, uh, people like that, played in the fourth division and they won the championship. And I knew there were some good players there. Now, the mm. test was whether 
went into the third division, could they do it then? Well, they did. They, they, they found the third division comfortable. They played, as I say, Winterburn was a great sign-in for us. Kevin Gage developed as a player. Brian Gale did. And um, we, we, we had good players there. I mean, we did bring Stevie Galliers back, who'd been transferred uh, in that early days with Sam. He'd gone to Crystal Palace and we brought him back and he did a terrific job for us. Uh, as I say, it was bringing Laurie Sanchez in at the right time. Um, yeah. And again, up and then the, all of a sudden the championship or the league two was expected to be daunting we knew it was hard yes we had learned a few lessons in that we finished a creditable mid-table but again the nucleus of the side was was there um, as such and they showed that they could do it and then the following season um, when we got promoted again they showed that they could to adjust themselves to the standard. And of course, everybody thought we'd get relegated. I thought we had some good players. I mean, I knew that Hodges, Winterburn, Alan Court was a goal scorer. Galliers mm. was a player. Andy Thorne was very intelligent. Kevin Gage was a good player. And, and we got uh, people like Dennis Weiser who joined us. I mm. mean, Dennis in the Premier League. Then Vinnie Jones come and he stepped up to it immediately as well. And John Fashion, who obviously at the end, he, he stepped up to it. So we, we had a good players that were there and we had the backup that uh, the players there, 13 came through the youth team, who played for the youth team. So from that point of view, it was their club. They were determined. Um, they were probably living the dream because they probably didn't expect it to be. But they, that whole that whole team become established Premier League players. Besant went on to play for Newcastle, Chelsea, Nottingham yeah. Forest. Kevin Gage went to Aston Villa and Sheffield United. Nigel went to, went to the Arsenal. Arsenal, yeah, yeah. Brian Gale went to Manchester City, Ipswich and Sheffield United. Andy Thorne went to Newcastle, Crystal Palace, etc. Vinnie, Vinnie went to uh, Leeds, Sheffield United, Chelsea. Laurie Sanchez stayed there. Glenn Hodges went to Newcastle, Watford, etc. And um, uh, Dennis Wise went to Chelsea, Chelsea yeah. and Fashion who went to Aston Villa. So uh, it was one of those situations where the, the players stepped up to it. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, no worries. And, and, and just sort of in terms of the off the field sort of antics, because obviously the team is famously dubbed the, the crazy gang. How did you almost sort of manage those guys off the pitch in, in terms of getting them motivated and ready to play games, considering the fact that people saw them as pranksters and jokers. Well, that was the way it was, because what they didn't realise, we had a good fun. Uh, our mm. facilities were, weren't the greatest. We had to make do, but we did the best of what we got. We made sure we trained properly. But when we trained, uh, we played, we trained properly. And when we played, we played properly. So mm. people were standing the crazy gang. Yeah, you're off yeah. the field. Plenty of pranks going on in the dressing room, things happening with the club. They were a lively mob uh, in terms of what they did. They mixed and, and quite a few of them used to go out together for a drink or for a meal and, and everybody contributed and they built a team ethic that the team was more important than individuals and uh, they, they became strong characters because by the time they got to the sort of top division, a lot of them like Glenn Hodges, Mark Morris, Paul Fisherton, Wally Downs, Besson, Alan Cork. You know, they've got a couple of hundred games behind their belt. And and on the way up, we had beaten teams like Nottingham Forest in the Cup we, and, and, and teams like that. Um, mm. So 
they weren't frightened. They weren't frightened. They went into it. And uh, of course, obviously, I couldn't say to you that I thought we'd finish sixth in the league with all yeah. those big but it was amazing. We went out, we attacked, we lost some games, but we went for it. Uh, our, our style of football didn't like, wasn't liked in the Premier League because it was difficult to play against, and uh, the teams didn't like that, and a lot of them couldn't cope with it. And mm. really, we were we were strong, fit, competitive, and we were very good, better players than people thought they were. And of course, eventually, when we got to the Premier League and did well, all of a sudden, people started to think Arsenal come and pinched uh, Winterburn straight away, Hodges went to the went in that time, and then all the others moved on. So that whole team was assembled for about 700,000, eventually sold for nearly £11 million, which don't sound much now, but uh, if you think in 19, uh, what is it, uh, 88, uh, it was a fantastic sum. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I think one of the main things I wanted to really ask you is that obviously being a manager is a higher pressure job. There's a lot of pressure involved in terms of getting results when results aren't coming your way. Potentially the unfortunate instances of getting sacked as well. As a manager, it's almost like your welfare isn't ever really thought about by the fans. It's always like we need results, we demand results. As a manager, how did you deal with all, all those sorts of aspects in terms of the pressure and uh, and sort of navigating through that? Well, you have to live with the pressures that come. You know, sometimes mm. you can make pressures for yourself, but it's a yeah. result. I mean, for example, when we got promoted straight away that first season and when Sam decided to sell these players and we had the injuries, I mean, it made it quite plain that I wasn't going to get the sack if we got relegated. You know, I didn't deserve mm. that. Was in for the long run, so you know, even though we got relegated, I was disappointed at the end of that season. Um, I knew that uh, Sam wasn't going to sack me. You know, he was going to be with me. So mm. the fact that we straight back that it was it was a, was a good thing. So you, you know, again, as a manager, you have to come up with results uh, and you have to win more games. If you if you're successful and you win games, you stay in the job longer. You know. Uh, it's no good talking about we play good football or we play this way and we play that way. If you're losing, the fans get fed up with it and so do the directors and you're, you're shown the door eventually. Mm. No it's about the aesthetics of it. They talk about the results. And when you can live with it, we got criticism, but we liked it. it was a, they did us a favour. The fact that everybody was criticising us for the way we played and was, uh, you know, criticising the players and the fact that there no club, all the clubs misjudged how good the players were. They all mm. it took time for them. They, when they was watching us in the second division, none of them had the bottles to try and buy any of our players, which was a favour, because if they had come in, we'd have probably had to sell them, which might have had an effect. Yeah, and, and obviously in terms of yourself, there was a point at which you're potentially going to move away to Crystal Palace. What, what almost made you want to stay and almost finish that job at Wimbledon? Uh, well, it, when, when uh, Ron Nodes came from Crystal Palace after we'd just got promoted to uh, the uh, second division as such, um, uh, it, it was because Ron I knew well. I knew I, I went to school with his brother and I played for Ron. He ran a youth team in the Harrow area and I played for it as a kid. And uh, Ron fancied me as a manager and he, he came and convinced me that Crystal Palace was better, it was a bigger club, more crowd and more wages, etc. I didn't yeah. really want to go do a good job, but when I agreed to do it, 
uh, you know, two or three a, a day later, I realised that uh, Wimbledon were in a better position player-wise than Crystal Palace, and I didn't really want to go there. So I had to go and tell him that, uh, you know, I didn't want to take it. Uh, and, and he took it very well, really. You know, he was disappointed at that stage um, about it, but uh, it was the right decision. And it turned out the right decision for him because he got Steve Koppel, who did a really good job for Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah. And I went back to Wimbledon for the next three years. As I say, we had a good first season in the Championship, got promoted uh, the following year to the top league and we finished sixth and got to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. But then my relationship with Sam was beginning to sour for various reasons. And it was time mm. to move on. I really want to move on. But Sam wasn't being very cooperative um, because basically he was feeling that the Wimbledon fans weren't giving him enough credit for what he'd done. But of course, it's all about the players and what you produce. The, the fans don't care about the directors or anything like that at all. It's really the players that get you there and the players don't care. But of course, Sam thought that, you know, because he had helped the club or he had saved the club as such in a way that he should have got credit. So our relationship to, turned a bit sour and uh, it was decided to leave. And I left the year before they won the FA Cup. But uh, mm. it was time time to move on then. I didn't really want to uh, move on. If Sam yeah. had been uh, more uh, amicable uh, on my contract because he was messing about on my contract and I hadn't signed a new contract, so I was running out a time that I felt, well, it's time to move on. But these things happen. If I hadn't, you know, uh, going to Watford wasn't successful at all. It was a wrong decision uh, yeah. to go there at a particular time. But then I wouldn't have ended up having a marvellous period at Sheffield United. Yeah, and no, I was just about to go on to that because not only did you uh, obviously do what you did, taking Wimbledon from the basement to the big time, you then actually went and repeated it even quicker um, at Sheffield United. Just sort of talk me through those those sort of early years of navigating from the third division into the into what was the new Premier League and working with players like Brian Dean and, uh, and etc. Well, it, it wasn't when we got to the top league. It wasn't the Premier League in the first year or so. You yeah, know, yeah. But uh, I, I, I finished at Watford. It had been an, uh, uh, the wrong decision by me and Elton at that particular time. It's just the wrong time, right, wrong mm. timing. And, and I made a mistake there, but uh, it opened up. The Sheffield United, you know, when I took over in the January, they were in the bottom two and they finished up in that position, although they lost on the playoff to Bristol City, who were in the third division at that stage. So, of course, it was back to relegation. But then, it, I, I, you know, the side was a poor side at that time. Luckily, most players were on loan or older and we could get rid of them and I kept the ones I want and, and luckily I rebuilt a side that uh, challenged straight away. Brian Dean was brought in I, I, uh, and I brought Tony Agana from Watford who I'd taken there and they provided a formidable challenge uh, for us because they scored 63 goals between them in the third division and uh, we had we had the, the, the likes of, you know, players I brought in to came along, Simon Webster, Bob Booker, John Gannon from Wimbledon, Simon Tracy came from Wimbledon, and uh, we, we added to it uh, as, as such. And we, we, we came second to Wolves um, and, and jumped straight back, and it created a good atmosphere in the club. We were a lot younger, more athletic, ability, etc. And Chrissy Wilder was part of that team as well. Mm. And then we we found ourselves in the championship and we, we couldn't compete with like 
Leeds United went out and bought internationals, but we didn't. I brought Mark Morris, who was at Watford. I'd taken to Watford. I brought him in. David Barnes came from Aldershot. Colin Hill came from Colchester to add to it. And, uh, you know, our, uh, our baptism, uh, uh, you know, we, did, we, we pushed on. And we had a great season and we come second, we lost on goal difference to Leeds in the in the second division. So all of a sudden, two years on the trot, we'd come. Whereas Wimbledon would come from the fourth division, yeah. Sheffield United down to the third, and we'd done it. And it's a great club and uh, a great atmosphere. And uh, those players, they sort of bonded in a way like Wimbledon did. We didn't, they didn't, we didn't call it the crazy game or anything because it was the Sheffield game. You really, it was a but they sort of had that same spirit that was available to Wimbledon. We built a good spirit amongst the players in terms of what was required uh, and uh, they bought into everything and they were very competitive and worked very, very energetically and, uh, you know, great rewards. We got into the top league. We weren't like Wimbledon and ended up in six. We had a right battle. We were bottom till um, Christmas. And then we had a bit of a run and then we had a very good run and we, we finished comfortable at the end of the season. But for long times, you know, really until we didn't win our first game till about December the 3rd uh, mm. from the start of the season. We had four points after 17 games. So we, we did tremendously well from the, there on in to get the points to stay up, you know, with, the, mm. with it. Again, it was built and Sheffield United was a club, of course, it didn't have the money to back it up. You know, they needed, as we climbed up into the Premier League, the players did well, they did terrific, but when it was needed, they didn't invest money in the team. They kept on playing Russian roulette, thinking I could keep them up. Uh, you know, in terms of getting improvement uh, to the team. No, definitely. And um, just sort of hearing about so your breakdown in the relationship with Sam, the owner at Wimbledon, what was the contrast like with working with the owners at Sheffield United? With what? Sorry. What was, what was the United? Yeah, what was it like working with the owners and directors at Sheffield United in contrast to, to Wimbledon? Yeah, I mean, Sam was the owner and he was good to work with in a lot of ways, but mm. he didn't start spending money or appreciate what he got. And he didn't look after me or the players at Wimbledon. That, mm. You know, he paid out money later on. Um, you know, I mean, as I say, at Wimbledon, I made, made an over £10 million profit in the time I was there. You know, that's, mm. that's not, so it didn't cost him, so that paid for everything for him. The same thing happened at Sheffield United. In the time of my eight years nearly at Sheffield United, my, I was in, I made five million pounds for the club. So I, I didn't cost them anything in terms of transfers. What I did with the buy-in and selling was make them five million over the eight years and also bring them up, which is formidable in terms of when you think most clubs spend their way through to, to do it. So it can, it was done because we, we were able to sell. You know, Brian Dean was bought for 30,000 and sold for 3 million. Tony Agala was bought for 45,000 and sold for 750,000 again. So, you know, there was a, a lot of players that, uh, you know, made profit for Sheffield United. But of course, what happened is the owners of Sheffield United weren't rich enough to capitalise and with the Premier League being more competitive, well, unfortunately, we wasn't in a position to compete with most of the clubs because we were still selling and they made the biggest horrendous mistake they did was selling Brian Dean uh, at the end of my, you know one season and that cost us with relegation at the end of that season. We got done 
uh, right on the last game of the season. And, you know, we'd have had Brian Dean, we, we would have stayed up. We drew 17 games that year. But mm. of course, we didn't have got any money for Brian Dean, but of course, they'd have still been in the Premier League. So there was poor thinking behind that at the top level unfortunately, um, and the club started to go a little bit on decline because the owner wanted to sell the club. And there were some other situations where the first owner, when I took over, he owned the club. He sold it to another director who then had problems and uh, escaped from the country. He had to come back. So it was always a financial problem at Sheffield United, you know. Yes, guys, that is part one with the legendary Dave Bassett over and out. Make sure you lock in next week, Monday, for part two, where we speak about agents, directors of football, player power, and tactics within the modern game. We'll also be revealing the answers to what the footy are you lying for. I've been your host, Paul. Guys, remember to download, subscribe, rate and review, and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? What the footy? Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school, now it's a foot in Arsenal. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that, but then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. So when in the league, let's just win this to appease the fan. New hot and iced sunrise batch coffee from Dunkin'. A bright and balanced, full-bodied blend, brewed so you can get summering from sunrise to sunset. And even after that, because that's when you can show off those string lights you hung in the backyard. Or re-hung. Enjoy a medium, hotter iced sunrise batch coffee for $2. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Minute Maid slushies are back at McDonald's. And if you'd like to thank me for that information... I'll gladly take a slushie. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink. Right now, treat yourself to a small Minute Maid slushie, like the new strawberry watermelon flavor for $1.59. Or try small McCafe frappes and smoothies for just 2 bucks. Price and participation may vary. Limited time only. Minute Maid is a trademark of the Coca-Cola Company.